Welcome to the Innovative Real Estate Podcast with your hosts, Leslie Horn, Brett Crandall, and Claire Olilla. We're here to make your life easier as a real estate developer and teach you everything we've learned about designing and building innovative homes, multifamily, and mixed-use structures. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, trainings, and Q&A segments so you can learn from our years of experience and make your innovative vision a reality. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. As always, you've got your hosts. I'm Claire. I'm Leslie. And I'm Breck. And we are excited that you are either joining us newly on this episode or rejoining us on this episode. We are going to be diving into a little bit more detail than usual today, uh, specifically around the roles of certain architects and engineers throughout the course of your project. Now, this is a question that we often get from uh, new developers, specifically in the small to mid multifamily range, uh, just regarding what kinds of consultants might be necessary throughout the process, what kinds of people they're going to need to start planning to make sure that they've got all the pieces in place for a successful project. So we want to share all this information with you. That's our intention today. So get out your notes or whatever it is that you want to write with phone app, pen and paper, you got it. And you're going to be learning a lot in this episode. So before we get into the meat of the episode today, as always, we start off with our project highlight of the week. So Mr. Breck Crandall, we've got some awesome designs that we've been releasing lately. And which one are you wanting to highlight this week? share with the people this week we're going to head back up to northern michigan where we're going to look in empire michigan you know where that's at uh it was uh at one point voted the most beautiful place in america by usa today which i mean kudos that's great that's where sleeping bear dunes is uh it's a, it's a gorgeous gorgeous area of the lower peninsula of of northern michigan um but we're doing a lot of like guest houses, Airbnbs, that kind of stuff up there. So this is actually another one of our double projects where we are doing a home and a guest house. So both are relatively small, um, just so they can be used like as a cottage, as a cabin, but then can be rented when the uh, owners aren't there. So the uh, main house is like 1,200 square feet, and that's a uh, three-bedroom, two-bath house. Um, all ranch style, single level, have some cool decks on the outside and some really gorgeous views of, of the forest around them. And then also nested on the property nearby that shares like a big driveway, but it's just far enough that you actually like wouldn't see one another is a guest house. And it's a, it's a very modest 800 square foot, very simple design guest house. And that's, um, it is two bedrooms and uh, one bathroom in the guest house. So very cool uh, dual project in Empire, Michigan that we're looking forward to releasing. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's on our Instagram yet. So by the time this podcast releases, it might be there. But for sure, regardless, we will put the link to that project uh, on our website. And we'll put that link right in the description of this episode. So you can scroll down. You can take a look through some of those images and get a feel for what we're talking about here. And, 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 and we would love for you to click the contact form link in this podcast description, because we've got our team at three squared here, all ready to go to just have a call with you 
15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's usually all it takes to learn about people's visions for what they're wanting to create. And first of all, you know, give you some tips. Is this feasible or what recommendations might we have for you during the process? And also, if you're ready to go, we can get you set up to um, get scheduled in our kickoff timeline over this next quarter here. So we'd be really excited to connect with you. Go ahead and click that contact form link in the description of this episode so we can set you up with the right member of our team for that call. And without further ado. <laughs> well, you know, Claire and Breck, I'd like to start this off just really quick because I know that when, you know, way back in the day when we were going to develop um, a an apartment complex, I remember I'm like, I didn't even know who to call, right? This was the first development because all I did, uh, you know, all we had been doing was rehabbing houses. And so started getting involved. Um, someone said, oh, you should call an architect. Well, we did, um, interviewed three of them. One laughed at us, one never returned a call. And then the the architect that stayed with us, incredible man, just an incredible man. And he he said, okay, we're going to design this, this awesome apartment complex out of containers, the first one ever in the United States. That's how long ago it was. Um, but nonetheless, as we started moving through the process, he's like, okay, well, we're going to need to, um, you know, bring in some engineering. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fantastic. Well, who knew that there's like five engineers that need to be involved with a project? Five, five engineers, five different types of engineers. And um, I, and all I kept thinking was, oh, holy cannoli, this is going to be like, oh, my God, this is expensive. Because in my mind's eye, my construction cost was all I really needed to have for a building, right? Oh, plus the, maybe the architect. Okay, they don't, you know, it's not going to be that much. Well, oh, it was such a big eye opener. And again, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And um, honestly, it was the, I just kind of went with it and went with the flow now, at least, I mean, there's I'm able to really articulate um, through, of course, this experience of opening up an architectural firm and um, and learning why you need these disciplines involved with a commercial project. Now, single family homes are different, and I know Breck will go into a little bit more detail about it, but it's really, um, it was a big eye opener um, as a new developer and, and actually really, truly understanding how a project gets from just a concept, like in your mind, you have really no idea, how does it fit on the land? Like, where does it go on the land? How do we determine how much to build on the land? All the way up through, you know, a permit set. And, um, oh, anyway, so I'm excited about today's podcast and the education that this is going to bring, especially to some of our newer clients, newer developers that I think, you know, we just don't know what we don't know. Anyway, Breck, I think um, if I were in your shoe, well, actually, if, let me just, if, let me ask you this. Let me just start off by saying, um, when you start developing a project, when a client comes to us and we're now doing a commercial project, <sighs> In your mind, when you see the first, like you, the, in the first design kickoff meeting, we get through a schematic design. Tell us now, like, what your process is, or even if it's prior to that, how you start formulating the team and how you get this project to a bid set or a permit set. 
So, I, well, I want to back up like just a little bit because from your your position as a developer, yeah, I mean that's that's it's very it's it's a lesson you got to learn at some point, <laughs> right? Like there are different roles for different individuals, and that's why we're referring to like stay in your lane because each of us are good at like a departmentalized category of what is ultimately a building and buildings mm-hmm. are like complex. So I'll I'll answer your question, Leslie, but just for a moment before we get into that. If you like look back into history at like the the basic elements of architecture, like just creating enclosures of spaces to protect people from the elements. It was a concept of a master builder, right? That's where the like where the term architect came from, where architects even originated was those who created an enclosed space, like those who created shelter. And the master builder could effectively wrap their minds around an entire structure. Uh, I mean, even in the even in the the age of the Roman Empire, the Greek empires, um, going all the way back to the Vitruvian definitions of like what makes a building of firmness, commodity, and delight. Like those are the three things, the essential elements of architecture. It was possible to wrap your head around the whole thing, right? Like we're stacking stone, we're making posts and beams, we're covering a space, we've got these kind of rooms, we've got this kind of decoration at the top, this kind of decoration in the middle, this kind of decoration at the bottom, so on and so forth. That was the idea of master builder. If we fast forward to today, I don't know anything about how giant cooling towers are able to condition the air that is then pumped throughout an entire building. I don't know how transformers step down the massive amounts of power that are delivered to a building and then transferred into panels and sub panels and then wired throughout a building. Like there are so many complex departments of today's buildings that no one entity could possibly know everything that there is to know. It's impossible. The idea of a master builder has sailed. It's gone. Like that's not something that's involved anymore. So architects play a very specific and defined role, as do structural engineers, as do civil engineers, as do mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineers, specialty consultants. So this goes back to all of the uh, all of the individual pieces that that Leslie you mentioned, you know, that you had to learn coming in as a developer. So when we start a project, a lot of it comes down to how complicated is the project, really? I mean, if it's a house. You probably need an architect and you probably need a structural engineer. Some architects are, you know, capable of maybe doing some of those quick structural calculations if they've been doing it long enough. Um, personally, uh, I like to have somebody check all of the numbers and to uh, and to be able to verify the structural calculations that go into it. Um, and because we do like kind of alternative construction majority of the time, that's kind of like a, a definitive, like on, on all projects, we will always have an architect and a structural engineer. Now, on bigger, more complicated houses, you might include an interior designer. Sometimes even more so, you might include an interior architect who's actually licensed in that profession. Now, hold on. Did I just say that there's a difference between an interior architect and an architect? Well, you betcha. Because buildings are getting even more complicated. There's so many aspects and elements about each layer of design. So let me quickly define. Here's what an architect does. An architect's responsible for essentially two main things. Overall design intention of the structure. That makes sense. That sounds like what an architect does in my head and when I meet with them. Um, 
But the other thing that they're responsible for is the enclosure itself. And so that means keeping the outside out and the inside in. So it's the envelope of the structure. It is the enclosure of the structure that is an architect's job to detail it so that the building doesn't leak, so that you get good sunlight when you want it and you block bad sunlight when you don't want it. So that you're, uh, co- you know, you're considering the energy requirements of a building and you're meeting those energy requirements in order to provide for the building. Like that is all within the scope of an architect as it's, as it's traditionally written. Now, where that line in the sand is drawn is anything outside of the building. So is an architect responsible for the sidewalks? Well, I mean, they could be involved. They can help you out. But really, anything outside of the envelope of a building, that lands in civil engineering territory. So civil engineering begins where the building stops and the outside begins. That's civil engineering. Now, if we reverse that on the inside, where the envelope stops, architects can be involved but you're much better in the hands, especially when it gets to larger, more complicated structures, to have an interior architect handle from that interior envelope inside of the building. Now, isn't that interesting? We've, we've covered a lot of bases here. So, Leslie, I'm going to turn it back to you in terms of the process and what we've discovered. Um, like, why are there all these different, different definitions of players in the game and, and why, why are they so necessary in each of their roles? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I was wondering as you were talking about the history of architecture in my mind, I'm like, how did it get so complicated? Why? Why do we now have to have these really highly skilled disciplines who know like their lane? But how did it get from an architect, um, you know, the master builder all the way now to where, you know, there could be 14, 15 different disciplines involved in one project? And so it comes down to technology and building science. Yeah. Is 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 going, it's a bell curve in one direction. Like we're never going backwards, we're only going forwards. Yeah. Buildings are getting smarter, which makes them more complicated. Well, it's true. And as we get and so does I mean, well, we're not gonna we, we can go down a lot of different legs right now because the cost involved, because I look at you know, we have those two buckets. You have got your construction bucket of money, and then you have your soft cost where all of these fees wrap in. Because I remember when we started doing the building, the apartment complex on Rosa Parks, I'm, I'm just expecting my, my little pocket, my bucket of money over here. And then all of a sudden, this bucket went from, you know, 30000 50000 all the way up. I mean, it started just like going, holy smokes. It was like, it ended up being like almost 32% of this bucket. So if we had, you know, a million here, I still had to come up with another $320,000 over here. And I'm like, this is just crazy. So, I mean, I look at those, those, those pieces of it, which every developer should, right? Like this is like old school. Now it's, if, if you're in the development world, you need to know that you've got two buckets of money, but as we go forward to these other projects, um, I do have a really specific question. Um, you know, oftentimes we get clients, Claire will attest to this, uh, potential clients coming in and say, hey, um, I was told all I needed is an engineering stamp. I need a structural engineer to stamp this and my my single family house or my project is good. Talk about that. <laughs> it's it's a way more complicated question than you wanted to be. I'm, okay, I know, um, I know, but I mean, so it, it depends on it depends on the jurisdiction and the uh, again the complexity 
of the project. So right. this gets into like a slightly different category, which I think is very related to our conversation today, which is like your stamp and ceiling. So right. what people, what people I don't think really understand um, a lot of the time is like, when you put your, when I put my stamp and signature onto a drawing, I am taking responsibility for the content of that drawing. I'm abiding by the health, safety, and welfare of the general public for the statute of limitations for whatever jurisdiction that's in. So like in Michigan, I believe it's like five years. So for the next five years, I have responsibility over the content of those drawings. So if I stamp that drawing, I damn well better have been involved in the creation of those drawings and the data that was utilized in order to make those drawings. Right. Right. And we've covered this in a past episode. Where yeah. it's like, you don't just take somebody else's drawings and stamp it. You're not going to take responsibility for something you weren't involved in creating. Right. You were at the very minimum, you're going to, you're going to review that and make sure that everything's safe and to the code and to your standard of quality and expectations before you would stamp and seal it. So each department is going to stamp and seal their own documents, right? So yep. architectural is going to handle the exterior envelope details, the insulation details, the connection to the foundation and stuff. The structural engineer is going to stamp and seal the steel superstructure that holds up the building and the wind calculations for lateral efficiencies and the foundation on which the building stands. Like they're going to stamp and seal the things that are in their lane. I'm going to stamp and seal the things that are in my lane. And we're going to coordinate and cross collaborate the entire time as we get there because Beautiful. buildings are getting infinitely complicated and we're not going backwards. So we're just going to continue to add more layers of information. I mean, let's let's look towards the future. Now we have Internet of Things technologies. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, um, the IoT world involves everything from smart thermostats to coded locks to the Nest cameras that you have and your ring doorbells and everything that's connected back to the Internet. That's getting so complex in larger structures that you have entire sub consultants. So if we look at like traditional large buildings, we will have an architect, you will have a structural engineer, you will have a civil engineer, and you will have mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineer drawings. <laughs> okay, so like, yeah, three out of four of those are engineers, one of them is an architect. I already defined what an architect does. I think it's pretty clear what an engineer does. Now, can an engineer stamp an entire drawing set? Yes, if they want to take responsibility for it, a PE or professional engineering stamp is near equivalent of an architectural stamp. And it sometimes depends on your jurisdiction. Sometimes they'll say, we need an architect to stamp architectural drawings. We're getting into the weeds of things because it gets like even more complicated than this. But outside of those four main categories, <clears throat> you could have all sorts of additional engineering or consultants that are specialists in their field. For instance, you could have a landscape architect who's a licensed profession that can define plants and tell you how to landscape uh, around a structure in ways that I could never describe. I mean, sure, like I could give you like a landscape diagram and plan something out, but am I going to be able to define those species that are like naturally occurring here and actually propagate bees and butterflies and everything in between to help the environment? No, that's not my lane. 
you can have an you can have an environmental consultant that really starts to measure your impact, your carbon footprint, not only of the building of the structure, but long-term, like life cycle analysis. You could have interior designers. You could have interior architects. You could have audio-visual specialists. You could have um, sound attenuation consultants. And the list like goes on and on and on. Like That's what I'm saying. Like We have to identify like what are the requirements for your building and how far do you want to take it? Because sometimes you could go too far. There are specialists for anything that you could possibly imagine. Like there are like down to the most finite, like you could have like door and drawer handle and pole consultants if you wanted to. You could have like paint specialists, like how much money, right? So we're trying to find this consistent balance of like, who's the right team for each project? How are they going to be involved? What is their lane and how do we not like cross coordinate? Like there are projects, for instance, that I have designed a restaurant, right? We did it because the owner knew exactly what they needed to achieve. And they had been in the industry long enough that they knew all the equipment and requirements were like, great. There are other projects where we had to design a kitchen and there were some like gaps in knowledge. And so we hired a kitchen consultant who is a certified kitchen planner which is another like registered licensed professional. Um, So the list goes on and on. And so it's like, if you need a specialist in a certain category, because that is a major emphasis of your structure, your design or your development, then that's where you want to put the emphasis and you want to work with a team. Now, the last thing I'll say before I turn it back over to you guys to close out is uh, depending on the project and depending on the team that you need to put together, um, you could require uh, a number of consultants that you had no idea that you needed, but the more consultants that come from one place, the yeah. better off you're going to be. So what I mean is instead of piecemealing, so I've got a kitchen planner here and I've got a lighting designer here and I've got an interior designer from here. If you could build a team that had one firm that did the majority of those things, think about the cross coordination and collaboration between all of those different people because yeah. buildings are complicated. And you need to be able to talk to one another. And so the more of that, that is consolidated from one entity, we'll call it the one-stop shop, if you will. The more that you have in one firm or one point of contact that already has a group of people that they're used to working with, So for instance, you come to three squared, I've got mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural, civil, landscape. I've got every one of these that I've worked with in various states and I have a comfort level with, and you just come to us and we can point you the direction for everybody else and coordinate all that information and data. And you don't have to lift a finger. And projects that I've been involved with where we had to go over here to this guy and over here to that lady and over here to this entity and try and like pull all the data because it was cheaper to go with individual companies. It has ended up costing us more every single time because the amount of mistakes and the amount of coordination that was missed and then the construction delays that came apart after the drawings were done because things were just completely missed. So I know, Leslie, you have a lot to speak No, I do. It's And it's because, I mean, honestly, and I've seen it, we've seen it happen just recently because there was, we, we had to piecemeal a, a portion of it um, because of cost. And unfortunately, it delayed the project construction 
oh my gosh, it, it, we couldn't even get a permit set out because I, I want to say it was like three months of, 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 it was just, it was really, um, oh, three just, months of mistakes. It was, yeah. It was like pulling like a tooth that wasn't even there. I mean, it was, oh my gosh, we could have had it done so much easier. You know, these are the life lessons that we've learned and the business lessons. And, you know, I think finding just the one trusted partner, um, you know, who is a good collaborator and I think who's a great communicator and who loves um, cooperation. I think those are the kind of elements that we look for and that you have found in a lot of our, our partners. And it's exciting to see that because when it runs smoothly, oh my Lord, it's just like, um, it's just like a, it's like a, the Olympics, you know, like the coordinated dancing of ice skaters, you know, and I'm sure uh, Emily would be excited we're using this example because she's she is a an ice skater. Um, I forget the name of it, but she's like really good, and it's a group. Oh, what are they synchronized. Anyway, synchronized, yeah. but um, but it it comes as simple as that, you know, and it's and and it's a beautiful process. So I've seen I've seen both on on either end, and I know that. As a firm, we are able to help facilitate that. But I think it's good that we all know now. I think it's good that as a developer that we know what buckets we need to be prepared for. And, you know, as a developer, you you don't have to go out and do all that search, researching and interviewing. Find find the the key point. Find the the leader of the project. Find the person who's going to stamp those drawings um, and let them coordinate for you. And um, I think it's really important. Any other and, final words for you? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to point people to, if you want to learn more about how we collaborate with other architects on these kinds of projects, because sometimes that is required, then we also did a whole episode on that. It's episode number 16, and we'll have Carly, our marketing manager, link that down in the description. Beautiful. So without any, uh, I think we're good. I think yeah. we can wrap it up here. Um, we covered a lot of ground in a little bit of time. So thank you everyone for joining. Talk for three hours about this. If we want. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it snowballs. It's it a does. very interesting conversation. The important thing to note is just like, everybody's got a specific role and you have to value people for what they're good at. I mean, yeah. I think that's the major takeaway is like, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Like there's somebody who is going to be a specialist and know more about that department. And so you as a developer and us as, you know, team members who are leading the role on, on a lot of these projects have to be able to determine what are we comfortable doing and what do we need help on because it needs to be done that much better to meet the expectation, the quality of the particular project that we're on. So we stay in our lane and we're getting very good at um, delineating what we're good at and what we're comfortable with and where we decide that we need to hire somebody else to help us. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, again, one more time, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you out in any way we can. So go ahead, click that contact form below and we will hopefully hear from you there and hopefully see you in the next episode. Bye everyone. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you found it so valuable, you want to connect with us one-on-one, click the link in the description to tell us all about your project so we can help you get started. And to get notified on the next episode here on Innovative Real Estate, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss a beat. 
get out there, put today's advice into action, and we will see you in the next episode.